And welcome to Catholics Coast to Coast, where we dive a little deeper into each and every conversation happening at Podcast Central. Simple to find, EWTN.com slash radio. And I'm Ace McKay, glad to be back as we tackle the topic of prosperity gospel. Should we embrace it? Should we ignore it? Well, let's look at it at least through a Catholic lens, thanks to our friends at Adventures and Imperfect Catholic Living Podcast. It's going to help us start the conversation this week on Catholics Coast to Coast. We are a Ashamed to admit, Tom, that even though I'm a I'm a cradle Catholic, Jennifer came into full communion in the church in '99. Um, we got married in '95, around '99, 2000. We really started taking our our quest for Jesus more seriously. It wasn't necessarily always in the Catholic Church, and we might have might have been somewhat attracted to some Protestant preachers that were espousing. The prosperity gospel that you talk about in your book. Okay, you have to remember uh, the prayer of Jabez was also launching right around that time when we were newly married, and that got on our radar as well. That that was kind of the starting point for us. Do you remember the prayer of Jabez? I I do remember. I don't think I read the whole thing through, but I did read parts of it, yeah. Yeah, it was like, oh, Lord, that you would enlarge my territory. You know, it was basically like, (laughs) make make me have more stuff, God, is basically what the prayer was. And, And... I, I'm conflicted, and I think that this is something we could talk about a little bit. Four things like that, and, and in your book, The Prosperity Gospel, and, and I love the subtitle, How Greed and Bad Philosophy Distorted Christ's Teaching. I think about those times when I was reading Prayer of Jabez. I did want more stuff, right? I felt like, God, make it easier for us to have a, a house, make it easier for these things to happen. But what's interesting is, looking back at it with hindsight, he did enlarge our territory. He led us to things like total consecration to Jesus through Mary. He led us to a deeper holiness. He led us to things to help people to grow in their faith. And we've been very blessed to actually have a larger territory in the fields of, of ministry, um, but not necessarily financially. So there, there's this weird idea of praying for more, but does God give us, if we pray for more with the idea of the prosperity gospel, will he give us more of what we actually need? Well, there's the John Paul II makes a distinction in Genesis between having more and being more. Mm. And I think that's you're talking about the latter. And God does want us to be more, but not necessarily to have more. And as far as wanting to have more, um, we don't tend to make a distinction between needs and wants. Uh, in fact, ordinary economics that you'll find if you take economics at almost every institution in the country, uh, doesn't make it that distinction. Hmm. It, whatever you want is the same as whatever you need. Hmm. And uh, but as Catholics, we have to realize uh, that, as Saint Thomas said, the appetite for natural riches is not infinite because you can only have so much. I mean, if you have ten houses, you can't even live in them, uh, <laughs> and you get oh, they just collect dust. <laughs> if you have a hundred pairs of shoes, you know, you're not going to wear them. So uh, you're like you won't have room in your closet. So needs and wants, that's a very important distinction between that. And there's nothing wrong with, with praying for our needs, even though we recognize that God might not even supply us with our needs sometimes mm-hmm. in terms of temporal goods, mm-hmm. but it always supplies with the grace we need. Uh, for our, as, as I quote Cardinal Newman in the book, uh, that if I'm in sickness, that's part of God's plan. If I'm in doubt, if I'm in perplexity, and so on. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we... There's nothing wrong with wanting to be more, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to have 
uh, our needs supplied or even our temporal needs, always keeping in mind that according to the will of God. Was there some point where, you know, in your own life that you've, because you've written a whole bunch of other books and, and books that, that have covered a, a wide array of subjects, at some point you had to have said, there's a need for a book that counters this prosperity gospel and to, and to write it from a Catholic perspective. Did something personally happen in your life or something that you were witnessing that really started to sort of gnaw at you that you saw the need for a book like this? Well, to be honest with you, uh, Tan approached me okay. and they asked me if I, would, if I would write a book on the prosperity gospel. And, and I, my response was, well, yes, but it's, it's easy to make fun of the prosperity gospel. That's, you know, you could write something like that without any trouble. I wanted to show why something is weird, why something is bizarre as the prosperity gospel caught on. And uh, my original suggestion for a title was Seedbed for the Prosperity Gospel or Seedbed of the Prosperity Gospel because I wanted to show <clears throat> this didn't come out of nowhere. Mm. Uh, the the uh, kind of thinking that uh, led to the Prosperity Gospel has been around in this country for a long time mm. and uh, has effect, infected practically every area of our life. So, yeah, that was really the, uh, the way it went, the trajectory of it all. Mm. Well, and I've been interested in the church's teaching on, on social order, on economics for a long time, even before I was a Catholic. Is the pursuit of prosperity wrong? You know, the, the pursuit of more money, the pursuit of a, a way to provide for your family, like the desire for good things is pretty wired into us. We we don't necessarily see it as an evil thing, but more of a responsibility that I think American families feel very pressured to attain. Is this, are we slipping into a prosperity gospel mindset by accident? Well, I think often we are. I mean, it's, it's what I said before about needs and wants. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, you can, you know, you can't, you can't decide what the difference is with a mathematical certitude. You know, I need X amount of money to the penny, but you can, get some rough idea of, yeah, we need this to have a, a decent life, a human life, kind of life God intends for mankind to have. But on the other hand, to have a lot more than that is going to be the pursuit of, of the kind of thing that the prosperity gospel is after. And it's, and it's not really the case that everybody is always trying to get more. For example, in one of the books that I cited in here, Max Faber's The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism, he talks about uh, in the 19th century in Germany, the cloth merchants who uh, they operated by contracting out with various people who would make the cloth in their own homes. And then they would uh, get the cloth, collect the cloth and, and take it to a wholesaler and so on. But they were content. They really didn't work very hard. They were content with uh, a customary level of income. They weren't always trying to maximize their profits. Mm. They weren't looking out for, oh, here's an opportunity to make an extra buck. Aha, uh -huh, I can cut corners here. And so on and so on and so on. Way with we think, and so they were content with it, with a sufficiency. And, and um, there have been cultures that have been more content with the sufficiency than our culture has. Our culture is not generally content with the sufficiency. Yeah. It's always looking for well, how can I get more? How can I? Oh, I see an opportunity here. Well, an opportunity for money, yeah. But what is it taking away from? Is it taking away from time with your family? Is it taking away from? Time with talking to the neighbors and taking away from time for prayer, for study, whatever. I, you know, I found Thomas that, that it's 
what you're saying is is true, but it's also so frustrating to find the right balance to know. You know, at one point in our thought in the Lord's Prayer, we say, "Give us, you know, this day our daily bread." Do we just pray for just that amount, or do we at the same time plan for some unknown future to be, you know, taken care of in our retirement to have X amount of dollars in the bank? And you know, and so we actually have a financial advisor, and we meet with him once a year, and we he always asks us the question, "How much do you want to have?" you know, available to you on a monthly basis when you retire. And we, we were like, well, we're dependent upon God for just today that, you know, trying to have an idea of what we're supposed to do 20 or 30 years from now is so foreign to us in part, because we don't know how to walk that line of give us this day, our daily bread, and let me take action to prepare, prepare something, some kind of thing for the future. And so we find ourselves, and this is why the prosperity gospel is such an interesting topic is sometimes I feel like and I'm speaking as a married couple that that we don't know, kind of like, I'll just say it this way. We don't know what we're allowed to ask for. Mm. We don't want to ask for more than what we should be asking for. We don't want to be greedy. We want just we want God just to provide. But sometimes we feel like we're not being prudent in, in trying to do um, more to, to, to take care of our family long term, that kind of thing. Um, and, and I'll say this. I'll use this as a little bit of a, you know, companion to the pseudo topic question that I'm asking here. So Jennifer's uh, father died in 2015 and her mother passed away just this last December. Her dad did, you know, he, he was a a blue collar worker his whole life um, working, you know, when he retired, he was working for the post office uh, fixing their machines at one of their main facilities, but he did a great job of just kind of squirreling away money so that his wife was cared for after he died. And I don't, I'm not doing that same kind of thing that my father-in-law did. And so the, he, he seemed to have understood a, a prudent way of going about doing something that his wife was able to be cared for the seven, eight years after he died uh, until she died. What's the balance? How do we find that balance so that we don't fall into the prosperity gospel, but we also don't become so ignorant in our actions that we're doing nothing? Well, I think, I think you could say there's a, a two or threefold way of approaching that. <clears throat> the first would be prayer. I mean, the closer we get to our Lord in prayer and the more we, the more we seek his will, he'll, he'll give us a mind like a, the mind of Christ, as St. Paul said. Um, and, and then reading, reading what the spiritual writers of the church have said. And, uh, and also reading the, uh, the, not just the spiritual writers, but the papal social encyclicals, because they touch on these things. I mean, this, they're very much aware, <clears throat> excuse me, especially the older ones like Pius XI, he was a giant in this area. And mm-hmm. an absolute incredible what he wrote in these areas. And he was well aware of the tension that you're talking about. And, and everybody is really, everybody, especially if you have a family. I, <clears throat> I have a family, we have, we have 15 grandchildren now, and uh, we like to do something to help them too. But um, you can't you can't lay down something a priori. You can't say, okay, in in your life you need to have this much money and you need to have this large savings account. And if if you go beyond that, you're you're falling into the prosperity gospel. It depends on so many circumstances, and God knows that. I mean, especially with the uncertainty of the economy mm-hmm. and the uncertainty of things in general. I understand why people uh, want to err on the safe side. I, I I tend that way myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
<clears throat> but it depends on it. But it's it's not just so much saving for the future as what how we live now. Do we have all the latest gadgets? Uh, how often do we, do we feel like we have to have a car replaced every five years? Um, and so on and so on. Those are those are signs that maybe we're falling into the materialistic mindset. I mean, people, as someone has pointed out, as family size in the U.S. has gotten smaller since around 1970, the size of our houses have grown. Mm. And uh, it, it's insane. It, doesn't, it makes no sense whatsoever. And uh, in other countries, people, people aren't always looking for the biggest house. And um, I'm not saying that I'm not trying to, to jump on the U.S. too much, but we do, I have to be honest, we do have this uh, built in. We are really the seedbed for the prosperity gospel. It's the kind of weirdness that probably wouldn't have taken, taken off most places. Well, one thing I appreciate about your book, Thomas, is how you called us out um, in the best of ways, because while it would be easy to take the position of being a victim and like, oh, the world is bad. I'm just this Catholic woman trying to live a you know, a very simple life in a very, you know, secular world that's all about wealth and the pursuit of gaining things, um, whether it be money or, you know, accolades or praise. But at the same time, showing us how even in our attempt to be holy, we're still kind of participating in our own way in prosperity gospel. Um, I, I like how you say, how the things that we buy, the things that we choose to buy are very much under our control. Like we decide what we bring into our homes at the end of the day. We decide what vacation we want to, you know, treat our family to. And that in those choices, it should be kind of held to the right order. Like your book talked about this hierarchical order of things and that God should be rightly so, at the height of the, the summit of our order of life and not the attainment of goods and the attainment of things and that that life is not on top and God is somewhere on the bottom. Um, but I, I liked how you, you challenged us to really look at the choices we are actually making at the end of the day and where we are choosing to be formed. Like the, the TV we're watching, the videos we're watching, they're all participating in our formation, whether we want to admit it or not. It is forming us and it is influencing us. And when we watch YouTube all day and we see a, a good representation of the wealth of the world on those videos, it does kind of like almost subconsciously show us this is what we should be attaining for. This is they have something I don't have, which is one of my biggest gripes with Facebook I mean, I don't go on there much, but it's just like this endless parade of look what I have, look what I'm eating today, look at where I'm vacationing, and you're not. But I am, and I love you so much, I want to share it with you, <laughs> you know? And it just, it shows you, but, but these are good people. These are my friends. And I don't know how I feel about that, but it doesn't make me feel very good. And it's like, oh, you know, this is just part of how we're all kind of entangled in this web on some level to prosperity gospel and it's it's touching us even when we're trying to avoid it it's still getting at us i mean do you find that same thing happening in your life right now with your marriage and your grandchildren yeah it's, it's very it can be very difficult to decide like for example i guess maybe the thing that my our children are grown now but the thing that um i, I think about my wife going and i going out to eat well how often should we go out to eat and how often is being luxurious and how often is is just uh, reasonable, reasonable. And it's, you can't really 
as I said before, you can't really say, well, this week you'll only go out twice or only go out once or three times or whatever. It's hard to know. And it depends on a lot of factors. Um, so uh, I don't mean to be vague and to avoid the question. I might sound like I am, but I'm just trying to point out that it's for so many factors, we really, really have to ask for the mind of Christ. Uh, we really have to ask Our Lady, uh, help us to be like your son. And uh, I know that this sounds like my sign. I'm, I'm, I'm just um, evading things, but it's because you can't really say. But I mean, like, for example, you mentioned vacations. And it's funny. Uh, my father <clears throat> was a public librarian. And, you know, we made it. We had a, what I consider to be a reasonable middle class life. We didn't go on vacations. Uh, we just didn't. We didn't have a car until I was in sixth grade. And um, a lot of places I know you couldn't do that nowadays. I don't think you could do that here where we live. You know? uh, but uh, they had better bus service in those days. So well, we never we never missed that. We never thought, oh, we're being deprived because we're not going on vacation. Uh, it just never occurred to us that, oh, gee, other people go on vacation. Why don't we? Um, didn't bother. We didn't miss it. So there are a lot of things. It's easy to get hooked on things and think, this is normal. This is natural. We, should, we need to do this. In fact, we hardly ever went out to eat when I was little. So I guess that's one example where I can I can point the figure out myself and say, gee, I'm doing a lot more than my parents did. Well, and then that's the interest, that, yeah. that's one of the things I wrestle with, right? It's sort of like, well, okay, we we live in a time. We live in a place where these things are happening. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. And and it's it's such a wrestling thing. I feel like it's it's we're we're tempted with scrupulosity on a daily basis in trying to fight against the prosperity gospel because it's, you can start dinging yourself for well we went out as you said two times or three times in the past week. Uh, I'm not being very prudent with our money. I'm not being very wise. I'm not living uh, with the heart of Christ, or am I? Because this is the time and the place that we're in. And it, you said something a few minutes ago, Thomas, that I want to I want to touch on. You, you talked about other places in the world. It, so it sounds like this, while the prosperity gospel can be found in pockets around the world, is this primarily an American and North American uh, issue, or is this a globally pervasive thing? Well, there's some of each. I mean, the root of it, of course, is, is in the sin of our first parents, who uh, one day when Adam and Eve fell, they that messed up the human race. <laughs> For the for until our, our Lord returns, <clears throat> but you you can have things that are worse and that are better. And <clears throat> as I tried to point out in the book, there are two elements in American life that are not present everywhere. One of them is the pervasive Protestantism, and not just say like Anglican Protestantism that retains a certain number of Catholic elements, uh, but the most radical kind of Protestants that came to New England, the Puritans, the Pilgrims, the uh, Quakers that came to the Middle Colonies, uh, they were the they were the Catholic, the uh, Protestants that were trying to distance themselves as much as possible from uh, anything that smacked of Catholicism. So the kind of restraints that uh, Catholicism put on human appetites were, in many cases, just jettisoned. If you, uh, I quote in the book, uh, Henry Adams, in that wonderful book of his Mont-Saint-Michel en Chartre, where he talks about how in, in 13th century France, a huge amount of money was invested in building churches. Mm. Uh, and when you consider the state of the, of the economy in, in France at the time, 
a gigantic sum was, was invested in churches, uh, not in shopping malls, not in swimming pools, uh, but in churches and um, beautiful churches that, that uh, you know, they had to pay craftsmen to do very detailed and meticulous work mm. to uh, make the stained glass windows, the statues, the buttresses and so on. Uh, and so we don't have that in the United States. We don't have any consciousness of, of the Catholic background of civilization. And that's one of the factors that has made the U.S. fertile ground for this prosperity gospel. The other one I mentioned is the pervasive influence of the philosophy of John Locke. And somebody said, uh, Lewis Hartz, who was an historian, that in, in the United States, Locke is a national cliche. His, his way of looking at society is just taken for granted. Hmm. Uh, and many people aren't aware there's any alternative. Um, in fact, you're, having that, you're probably aware that right now in Catholic circles, there's a debate occurring about what is called post-liberalism. And liberalism here doesn't mean liberalism as we ordinarily use the term, like talking about the Democratic Party, for example. It means the pervasive classical liberalism, which of which both Republicans and Democrats are examples in different ways. And and people are waking up to the fact that and liberalism and Locke was one of the chief exponents of liberalism. He was, in a way, in the English-speaking world, he was the one who crystallized it made it seem palatable, laid down a simple way of applying. And Catholics are realizing now, you know, this isn't really compatible with Catholic thinking, Catholic living. And they're looking back, for example, at Leo XIII, who uh, was the Pope in the last uh, third of the 19th century, uh, who was a remarkable Pope. I mean, just incredibly remarkable. And he kind of restated the principles of Catholic doctrine has applied to the social order, both political and economic, in a series of remarkable encyclicals. People, a lot of people are aware of his encyclical, Graham Navarum, which is um, uh, certainly noteworthy, but he, that wasn't the only one. There were other encyclicals that, um, in which he talked about politi- the political order, how the state should relate to God, how the state had a duty as such mm-hmm. to honor God, not just you and me as individuals, but society has a duty to honor God. And when you have that kind of recognition, then you realize, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're, not, we're in this more than just piling up good for ourselves. You know, when you talk about the liberalism, and this might tie together with, you, you also discuss how this idea of the prosperity gospel has corrupted education to a certain extent. How, how so? Well, I say, yeah, pretty much totally. Yeah. Uh, Pius XI, in his, in his encyclical Divinity Elias, said that education is not an individual thing. It's a, it's a social thing. I mean, sure, it's individual in the sense what we're forming ourselves. But it's we're forming ourselves for the sake of what contribution we can make to the common good, mm. both on the spiritual level and on the um, on the material level, whatever our vocation might be. <clears throat> and But most people think of, of, of education as simply, what can I do to get ahead? How can I maximize my income, really? I mean, you'll see that you ROI, return on investment. Mm-hmm. And people, you'll find plenty of websites. If you if you put in Google education, <clears throat> ROI, you will get all kinds of, of advice about how you should or shouldn't invest in college because you might make better money if you if you invested in the stock market or something like that. And um, 
that's, that's, that's a totally perverted way of looking at education. And um, it's uh, education is, is, yeah, sure, it's for ourselves, but it's also for what we can contribute to the common good. It's not just a means of, of how much we can make money. But in the United States, when we talk about higher education, we primarily say, well, people who go and get college degrees or people who get graduate degrees will make X amount of money more than others. That's not the point. The point is, is it part of our vocation? Does it help us to contribute to fulfilling our vocation, to uh, aiding the common good and so on? So education has been really radically individualized. But but is that why we see so many um, so many colleges, non-Catholic colleges, are no longer places where? Uh, let, let, let me let me back up for a second, Thomas, and, and try this again. We know that that it's oftentimes problematic to send our kids, our Catholic kids, to secular colleges. We there's all sorts of studies showing how they'll you know a great number of them lose their catholicism when that happens so so how do we continue to push forward on a strong education in in this world in this nation in particular so that they're not being corrupted so that they are actually going to be those contributing members of society um and and get that education that's going to help them to do that without them losing their souls and that seems to be, uh, you know, that's not really the point of your book, but that's, you seem like a, a good person to be able to have some uh, thoughts on that. Yeah, I mentioned that. I mentioned that briefly in the book because that is obviously a great concern. And, and when our children were coming up college age, we said, okay, here's, here's your choices. And we gave them all the choices of good Catholic colleges. <laughs> you can choose one of these, but that's it. You know, if you want to go somewhere else, if you're 18, well, we can't stop you, but we can't help you. We don't want to help you either. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, we have to be very, very careful about not just high schools, but I mean, not just colleges, but the whole the whole formal education of our children. Yeah. Uh, because you're right, it's extremely important, extremely problematical, and there are a lot of Catholic colleges that are Catholic colleges in name only, yeah. and that will destroy uh, our children's faith. <clears throat> but that's a separate issue from the issue I was bringing up about the um, the. Uh, commercialization of, of education those are those go hand in hand well they go I shouldn't say hand in hand they're parallel to each other but they're different issues and uh, you could have a Catholic college for example that was just as uh, interested in, in saying well we'll help you make a lot of money and you won't lose your faith mm. well the second part is great but the first part is a little, a little problematic mm. um, so yeah but yeah those are two issues and, and they're both important, I agree. And, and, and that's why there should be more of these good Catholic colleges. And we should, and I'm always appalled when people say, oh, my, my son got into Harvard. And oh, I see, no, okay, you don't care about his continuing in the faith. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry, your kid's going to Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll start fasting for him now. Um, but, <laughs> the, the, the same thing. The same thing, though. You know. So we have the educational institutions have been poisoned in, to some extent by it, but also our churches themselves. I, I, this is even in the Catholic churches. The idea of the prosperity gospel. How how do we kind of see the signs of prosperity gospel uh, infiltrating into individual parishes? Well, one thing would be obviously is anybody preaching on this? There are ten commandments, not just two, or not just three or four. There are ten. And we have to preach on all of them. And um, I say a lot of times it's not being done. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. So people aren't preaching about materialism. Yeah, I, I, I'm challenged by this. I, I'm super, yeah. super challenged by this. I'm, I know I'll be thinking about this one for a while. Uh, hey, if uh, we could help you in your own prayer life, go check out rosaryarmy.com and schoolofmary.com. We have free resources. Free! Don't have to pay for it. It's not about prosperity. Free resources available for you at those websites, including uh, in the new School of Mary. You can f- find your way towards greater holiness by going through totalconsecration.com. Some of the other great things. We're adding new stuff all the time to School of Mary. Uh, it takes time to add stuff. Don't be too greedy, right? We'll get, we'll get you your stuff when it's good and ready for you. But go check it out. There's a lot of wonderful things. New website, and uh, we're very excited about the the progress that this apostle has been able to make, not only over the last 20 years, but just this year in particular, including our ability to send you free rosary, pray along with you through our audio prayers and other resources. So go check that out. Pray your rosary every single day, folks. And do whatever it takes to be devout, reverent, and holy. Thanks to Thomas Stork for being on the program. Talk to you again in a few days. Please pray for our family, pray for our marriage, pray for our apostolate. God bless, folks. Bye-bye. Helping us to make sense of the prosperity gospel. If you'd like to hear the entire conversation or more like it, you can find out more about adventures and imperfect Catholic living on our website. Just go to EWTN.com slash radio and click on Podcast Central. I'm Ace McCabe. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to check in with the Catholic Review Radio and find out more about the growing trends of Catholic schools and how not only in that trend, if you or someone you know is looking to start sending your kids to Catholic school, how can we afford it? There are great programs available statewide and nationwide, so let's find out more into the insights of Catholic schools when we come back. This is Catholics Coast to Coast. If it's central to the faith, you can find it on EWTN Podcast Central, featuring the best of EWTN Radio, as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free. The destination for great Catholic audio programming is EWTN Podcast Central. It's like podcast heaven. Visit EWTN.com slash radio slash podcasts today. Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek. The 2023-24 academic year for Catholic schools in the Archdiocese of Baltimore opened August 28th for 58 schools within the Archdiocese. Joining us to talk about Catholic education and some of the highlights for the coming year is Dr. Donna Hargens, Superintendent for Catholic Schools in the Archdiocese of Baltimore. Dr. Hargens, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about our wonderful Catholic schools. Well, last year, in the last academic year, Catholic schools in the Archdiocese enjoyed a significant boost in enrollment, and there were 24,743 students enrolled. And I know the final figures are, are not in yet for this year. They won't be ready until October, but the school system is projecting a 1% increase from last year. And there are several Catholic schools that have seen really significant increases. Um, Archbishop Borders in Highland Town has an 18% increase this year. St. Agnes in Catonsville has a 15% increase. And St. Mark in Catonsville has a 14% increase. Uh, What's driving the increase in enrollment in Catholic schools? Well, and I think what happened was uh, certainly during COVID, it, it put the light on us and the quality of the education and our teachers. And when I hear the numbers, it's all to me about 
individuals that are going to benefit from Catholic education and ac accessing Catholic education. So we continue to, as you said, uh, benefit from an increase in enrollment. So we're helping more students and more families, which we're grateful for. Are you seeing that the students who joined the Catholic school system during the pandemic, are they tending to stay? Are you having a high retention rate among those who come into the system? Absolutely. There are a lot of families that they didn't know the quality of the education that their children would receive. And our principals really were determined to retain those families and keep those students in Catholic education. And of course we have, we serve non-Catholic uh, students as well, but everyone in a Catholic school is immersed in the Catholic faith and uh, Catholic identity is the most important part of what we do. Mm -hmm. The uh, theme this year is actually related to Catholic identity. It's the joy of the Lord is your strength. How will the schools live out that theme in the coming year? Well, and they are so creative. Uh, so obviously, uh, our schools really do represent joy. We have joyful students and joyful educators and administrators who serve those students. So the joy of the Lord. So what we want people to focus on is that even a problem can be joyful, is how you do everything you do. If we remember that Christ died for us, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So how can you have a bad day when you focus on that? Hmm. So, uh, and it's the logo, we always do a, a design contest. So we pick a passage and then we ask our students to um, actually uh, do a picture or do a design of that logo. And this year's logo, the official logo was created by Amanda Abdul-Sabur, a student at St. Mark's School. Will the students be be focusing on this theme in their religion classes throughout the year or other other parts of the curriculum? Absolutely. So it always goes back to the core of our core, which is the joy of the Lord is your strength. So uh, so people will focus on it. I've seen, like I said, a lot of creativity, bulletin boards, um, uh, carpets that say joy, everything about this year is is going to be about joy. As we record this interview, the Catholic Review is going to press on our September issue, and we have a big section about Catholic schools uh, back in our back to school section. And there were two stories that really struck me. There are a lot of great stories in that, but two of them really stood out. One is about a new program at St. Francis Academy in East Baltimore, which is a school made up mostly of African Americans, and they are actually training students to become pilots which is really important because there are so few African-American pilots in the country. Only 2.2% of all airline pilots are, are Black. So that, that's a really great program. And, and the other one that really jumped out at me is the aquaponics program at Bishop Walsh School in Cumberland. And uh, aquaponics involves raising fish. They raise blue uh, tilapia in these huge fish tanks at the school. And then the nutrients from the fish's waste help grow plants, vegetables, that they they have the vegetables available in the school and then they sell it. They hope to sell it to the restaurants and they also give it to a rescue mission in Cumberland. So they're, they're learning all kinds of things about science and giving back. And I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about what do you think students gain from these kinds of extracurricular programs in the Catholic schools? Well, and our, our actually what we focus on is a Christ-centered environment 
that is academically excellent, that empowers students to reach their full potential. So when you give the students an opportunity to do something related to their interest and learn, like St. Francis Academy with learning for maybe the goal of becoming a pilot or at Bishop Walsh learning about hydroponics, you are creating in education terms uh, an interest. It's a catalyst for wanting to learn more because in both of those things, you need to be able to communicate well and you need to be able to uh, uh, do math. So you're learning in the context of something that's really interesting and exciting to you. So that's a core of, of what our teachers do is make the learning relevant to the learner. In your travels, are there other programs that stand out in the Catholic schools? Well, we have robotics programs. We have maker spaces. We have uh, 3D printers. So what you see is students using uh, state-of-the-art equipment and taking advantage of 21st century skills. So we do see those in our Catholic schools. And sometimes people don't know that about us, that you will go into a Catholic school and you will see a makerspace. Uh, you will see at St. Agnes a state-of-the-art uh, lab, uh, science lab, uh, so you'll see all of those things. And then you also see performing arts. So if if you haven't been to a Catholic school and to see a performance of what our students do, you need to see that as well. So again, it's what motivates a student to learn, what's their interest, and us providing an avenue and an opportunity for them to learn. But back to remember everything we do from a performance to robotics competition, we're first and, first and foremost Christ-centered. And again, we focus on academic excellence. The last few years, the bishops have put a, a heavy focus on uh, reviving an understanding of the Holy Eucharist. And uh, in the Archdiocese of Baltimore, we actually had a whole year devoted to the Eucharist. And that campaign is ongoing. What, what are the Catholic schools doing to help children understand what the Eucharist is and, and how they can develop a love for the Eucharist? Well, and what you will see in our schools is Eucharistic adoration and our students learning um, uh about how to how to really be present and and in Eucharistic adoration. So there will be a school that um, St. John Westminster, where Father Mark will bless every classroom. Uh, I believe he carries the Eucharist uh, through the school. So what you see is a real focus on that. And our theme was Year of the Eucharist. So we learned how you encounter Christ right? In the four ways. Then we went to one body in Christ because we are one body in Christ. And then this year, the joy of the Lord. So, uh, so we should, and our students go to mass and we should all be in awe of, of the Eucharist at mass and receiving it. My favorite part of the convocation, and this is my sixth year in the Archdiocese of Baltimore, is being present with every educator and of course, the receiving the Eucharist. When you see those lines of people receiving Christ together as one body, that that is that's still I'm in awe of that. 
So that's what our students are doing, is learning to encounter Christ, have a relationship with Christ, and to be in awe uh, that Christ died for us. Uh, so he really, so the joy of the Lord is um, our strength. I know there's a new program launching uh, in 2024 called Gift of All Truth, which will train young adults to become evangelization missionaries. So you'll have 18-year-old to, I guess it's 30 or 35-year-olds being trained specifically about how to evangelize. And one of the first places they plan to go is Mother Mary Lang Catholic School. So it's interesting. We've got that kind of relationship developing among the schools and evangelization efforts. And we're so excited about uh, the missionaries that are going to focus on evangelization of youth, focusing on Mother Mary Lang. Uh, so, uh, so again, I, be I believe that will bear a lot of fruit for individuals. I mean, you change people's lives through helping them encounter Christ. Uh, th this is life-changing. So to have missionaries in love with their faith, sharing that with our students, that's a beautiful thing. And of course, our educators share their faith. Uh, when I talk to Catholic educators, they say, the best part about teaching in a Catholic school is I am sharing my faith and I'm growing spiritually through the experience of, of being in a Catholic school. And that's a wonderful thing to hear as well. Uh, Dr. Donna Hargens, the Boost Program, which is a scholarship program funded by the state of Maryland and provides $9 million in scholarship money to children from low-income families to attend Catholic and other non-public schools has faced some challenges in recent years. Uh, the new governor tried to phase out the program, but it was ultimately restored by the legislature. This year, Boost received about 7,000 applications from low-income families for that $9 million in scholarships. And from what I understand from the Maryland Catholic Conference, based on the number of certified applicants for this coming school year, it's really about double of what the need is, a double of what the amount um, appropriated by the legislature was. So could you talk about how important it is for our lawmakers to understand BOOST and how it helps children in our state? When we took students to non-public advocacy day, school advocacy day in Annapolis, I am grateful for legislators who listened to our students and heard the impact. Because again, the, the impact told by a student or parents was really important. So I am grateful that they listened to our students and hopefully we are changing hearts and minds, but the numbers speak for themselves. When you give people an opportunity to apply for a boost scholarship and when there are 7,000 applications and when the need, the number of applications amount to twice what's available, the numbers should change minds and hearts is that that many people uh, wanted to access Catholic education and wanted a Catholic uh, school environment for their child. So to me, the numbers speak for uh, and are helpful to change hearts and minds. And we will be back um, asking again for the support and an increase in the amount because our students deserve to have the choice, to, and our parents deserve to have the choice to have their child in a Catholic school if that's what they want. 
Will you be inviting lawmakers again this year to come visit the Catholic schools, especially the boost schools? All of our um, schools invite legislators uh, to actually visit the school. Again, people are moved by an experience and they might not know um, what the experience is really like. So we encourage legislators and, and the governor uh, to come and visit our schools and see that their decision to put $9 million in their budget is making a huge difference in the lives of students. And I hope, I hope what they see also is that we did leave some people behind uh, when they wanted to access Catholic education but um, or private education, and they didn't get the opportunity. So I imagine that must be a very sad day when you get the letter that says you did not get the, the Boost Scholarship. Because again, uh, you were hoping for that for your child. Um, so I hope they also know the impact of on the students that didn't get the opportunity. What could be done to make this program more permanent so that we avoid the kind of legislative skirmishes that, that we see from year to year? Our hope is that it would be put into law and that it wouldn't be a discussion every year, uh, and um, but that it would actually just be put into law and that we could count on it and our families could count on it. That would be our hope. And I know uh, every year that that's what we hope for. Um, so, and again, just to be clear, we're grateful for the 9 million, right? We're grateful that students are benefiting, but we also have to tell the story about uh, who didn't uh, get to benefit from Catholic education. Could you speak a little bit more broadly about the affordability of Catholic education? I, I know when you compare the cost of tuition with other non-public schools, that Catholic schools are significantly more affordable, but it, it's still out of reach for a lot of families. Uh, how, what, what kinds of steps are being taken to make Catholic education affordable in the Archdiocese? Well, I am always grateful for the generosity of the donors for Partners in Excellence which provides a lot of um, dollars to help students. So, uh, so that is really, again, makes it affordable. And that combined with the Boost Scholarship and every family does still pay. Uh, so, uh, but that is huge. And I know there's a pie breakfast uh, in the fall that we hope people will come to and uh, and donate because it does help our students. Uh, so the, our, the generosity of this community and we work uh, is is really making a difference as well. So it's boost dollars plus the generosity of this community. And you're exactly right. Our our families wouldn't be able to afford Catholic education. We are also looking um, having uh, Notre Dame come and do a workshop about Latino enrollment. Uh, and so how can we better reach out to the Latino community? Uh, but, and our budget reviews are all about keeping it as affordable as we can. So how do we grow and sustain Catholic schools and still don't outprice and leave families behind because it gets too expensive? But as you can imagine, that's a challenge. Uh, because the cost of everything goes up. The other challenge, of course, is we want to pay teachers well, 
and we try to increase their salaries. But again, we're trying to do that um, along with keeping it affordable for parents. Dame Selinger, who was the first chancellor for Catholic education in the Archdiocese of Baltimore, retired in June of 2022. And the Archdiocese has been co conducting a national search for his replacement that's been going on for about a year now. Uh, what's the status of that search? It is ongoing. And we all agree that uh, James Selinger is hard to follow. Uh, and he set a high bar, big shoes to fill. So I am, I am completely confident that the Holy Spirit will bring the right person into that role. Uh, and in the meantime, we have a great team. We are not skipping a beat and we're, we're just getting everything done. Uh, but I know the importance of the role because I worked with Jim for five of his eight years and I know it's important and you want to get it right. So we will wait and continue to pray. And he's been doing some consulting work with the Archdiocese, even in his retirement. He, he is very generous with his time, and uh, he's a wonderful person, and I can't ima imagine a better chancellor of education. Um, so he does, and he always is a phone call away uh, to answer a question. So he's been very generous, but I also know that he we want what we want for him is to enjoy retirement and his grandchildren, right. uh, and he has a new grandson. So, uh, so we we're happy that he's enjoying that as well. This year is also a special year for Notre Dame Preparatory School because it's their 150th anniversary, and Archbishop Lori will be celebrating a special mass there in September. Are there other special events coming up this year? Uh, special highlights for the coming academic year? Well, anytime, I know, for instance, like Resurre Re Resurrection St. Paul, their church renovation will be done So uh, in the spring. Uh, so uh, there are lots of things like that happening. And we're planning to have our last principals meeting there to celebrate with them uh, that it's done. And I know they had a big anniversary too uh, and had a gala last year. So there are a lot of exciting exciting things happening like that. And I can tell you, Archbishop Lori, when he goes to any school to do mass, which he does a lot, and he's so generous, that's a big deal for any school. So Archbishop Lori is very sought after as well as Bishop Parker and uh, Bishop Lee Wendowski. So we're grateful uh, to all three of them. Uh, but Archbishop Lori it's, it's roll out the red carpet um, and pure joy. There's that word again, when Archbishop Lori visits your school. Okay, we've got about a minute left. Uh, what are you most excited about for the coming academic year? I love school, uh, but I'm the superintendent, so I should. But what I see is people joyfully preparing for the students. And I see everyone as so ready uh, and excited about the school year. So to me, the school year is you begin again and the faculty are excited and the students are excited. I know the parents are excited. So, but I am grateful for the faith-filled commitment and passion of everyone who's getting ready for this uh, new school year and the team in the Department of Catholic Schools who is tirelessly working to support uh, the schools. 
Great. And if you'd like to learn more about Catholic schools in the Archdiocese of Baltimore, you can go to archbalt.org slash schools. And there's a lot of information about Catholic education in the Archdiocese. Our guest today has been Dr. Donna Hargan, Superintendent of Catholic Schools for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. Dr. Hargan, thanks again for being here. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor. For Catholic Review Radio, I'm George Matisek. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love. Well, thanks to the Catholic Review Radio. It seems that Catholic school's not so out of reach. Great info and insights. If you'd like to hear more on this conversation or others that you might have missed, check out our podcast central section at EWTN.com slash radio. Click on Catholic Review Radio and find out more. Let's check in as we, of course, come off of this morning's readings from the Mass and get today's Word on the Word. We've all been angry at something at some point in our lives. A priest recently told me that anger is one of those sins that you never really feel good about. Most of the time while you're sinning, there's some sort of pleasurable feeling, but not with anger. Most people don't relish the feeling of anger. I know I don't. In the first reading from Sirach, anger and wrath are referred to as abominations possessed by the sinful man. The reading puts into perspective how ridiculous it is to be angry at someone and expect to be forgiven by God. It says, if the mere mortal cherishes wrath, he will forgive his sins. The reading also notes that at the end of your life, remember and stay true to the commandments. You don't want to die having not sought forgiveness for your sins. As Catholics, we are blessed to have the sacrament of reconciliation, but you shouldn't wait until you're on your deathbed to start confessing your sins. It's a good practice to go to confession regularly. Plus, God will give you the graces to overcome your sins. This week, we challenge you to contemplate forgiveness. Think about how you would feel on your deathbed about the things that you're mad about today. Is it worth it? And that's all the time we have for today. We'll see you next week. Bye. Great passage for today. Take that with you or definitely share it with those that you know need God's word. And let's admit it, we all need it. So let's take it with us this week. Thanks again for hanging out as we do it again each and every week. Don't forget Podcast Central available for you anytime at EWTN.com slash radio. I'll see you next week. Remember to let God define who you are and join me for Catholics Coast to Coast.